Today on episode 250 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Bonnie and I celebrate a million downloads. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Dave Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Hooray, you did it. Hooray, I feel like we should have noisemakers, but we don't. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was going to try to make some sound, but it would just not be a good experience for uh, your listeners at all. Dave cannot roll his R's, and he also <laughs> probably is not the best noisemaker inter- um, impressionist that I know. That's so funny. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was going to try to roll my R. And no, I was like, no. That was not going to be a good experience no, for anyone. It's not a, not a celebration, no. Well, I am so excited for you, 250 episodes, and it just so happened that it we crossed the 1 million downloads mark uh, just uh, within the last week or so, right? Yes, as of this recording. So this is data as of 3.15. So March 15th, it was 1,012,971 downloads, but today's a new day because we're recording the day after that. So it's probably even gone up from there. It's amazing. I just think about all the people around the world that we've both been able to be connected with through both of our podcasts. What a wild ride. I was telling someone yesterday that I was interviewing though, because he says, wow, you and your husband really were in this before podcasting was big. And I was like, yeah, we've lasted all the way to where it's just ironic. Like, (laughs) of course you have a podcast. Everyone has one. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny. Yeah. It is an an incredible number of one of the like great joys that I have in life, Bonnie, for both of us is whenever we get an email or a call from someone that says, you owe us more money because you have exceeded the <laughs> server load <laughs> for your traffic or bandwidth. As much as I don't love to hand over more money, I am thrilled to do that because it is a wonderful problem to have for us to have so many people who have put your trust in Bonnie to be uh, of influence in your work and to inspire students. So we're, we're so grateful and we're going to celebrate today. One of the people that has been along for this ride, we refer to this group of people as the completionists. They are self-named. I believe that was possibly Ian Wolf who came up with that name, but I forgive me if I'm wrong about who created that name, but just people who have listened to all of the episodes that are out there in the world. And Linda Oakleaf is such a special person to me. She's been just encouraging me all along the way. She's a real integral part of the Slack channel. And so she and she's a Cubs fan. Oh, I did not. I did not remember. The that. most you missed the most important thing. <laughs> so she gets called in to celebrate. And what I love about Linda's message is she just is so authentic in marking this moment with us. And also, as she describes the episode that meant a lot to her, I love that she describes it in such an iterative way because it's like she's not done with it yet in terms of the lessons that can be drawn and just that playful experimentation that we can be doing in our teaching. So here is a message from Linda Oakleaf. I want to say congratulations. It's kind of amazing to think about a million downloads that even some small fraction of the folks who've been listening to your podcast made changes to what they do. It means that you and your amazing guests have made some real impact maybe on college teaching in the United States and beyond. 
My one in a million episode is episode 183 with Robin DeRosa. You all were talking about the importance of feedback and that's meaningful for students. And so I thought about that a lot and actually changed some of the way that I do drafts. I had always put more effort into comments for drafts than the, on the final piece. But I actually changed how I grade. Grades are extrinsic and problematic, but they work sometimes as motivator. So I changed it so that my final grade was entirely based on whether or not they implemented what I asked them to do. Now, they could disagree with what I asked them to do. And then they just had to write a paragraph that said, you know, I didn't make such and such an edit because I wanted to do something different in this direction. But, you know, you could give me a B paper and then not change a single thing. And now you have an F paper. And it really meant that students really looked at what I asked them to do, and it, it seemed to help. So that's that's one little change that I made. I'm still sort of implementing it and thinking about whether or not I like the way it worked. But that's my one in a million episode. Thank you so much, Linda, for sending that in. Bonnie, how are you feeling as you celebrate this milestone? Oh, gosh, Dave, it's been quite an emotional time this last week or two as the messages have come in from different people talking about their one in a million episode. And so just overwhelmed with just the transformative nature. And Linda talked about this a little, just imagine the people around the world and just this sense of solidarity with people who care so deeply about what we do and the impact we try to have. I will also say I am feeling so apprehensive. It's really hard when you name people because I I was going through the episode list as I prepared for today I want to name something about every single episode. I mean, the people I've been able to meet and the ways that I've been transformed and also witnessed other people be transformed. I want to go through every single episode and have a little love fest around, you know, the changes that happen. And so I'm, I'm feeling a little afraid. It's hard when you feel like you name people, then you know you're going to leave people out. And so I just wanted to say an enormous thank you to each and every person who's been a guest. It was such an honor to speak with these people and be connected in different ways. And so I'm feeling a little fearful. I don't know if that if that resonates at all with you, Dave. Yeah, yeah, it does. And so much of this is a journey for all of us, you know, whether we're behind the microphone or the person who's the guest on the episode and both of you, you and I have both done that. And then also been the person out in the world who's implementing this, uh, which we've both done as well too. And one of the things that I've found myself doing a lot when I interview people is asking them what they've changed their mind on. I'm curious, as you've been down this journey now of 250 episodes, uh, what's something that stands out for you that you've changed your mind on? One of the very many episodes that have changed my mind about things is episode 81 with Stephanie Vai. And that was an episode about some of the ethical considerations around plagiarism detection systems. And I had never thought about those things before. I'm embarrassed to admit, but Hey, that was way back in the before we'd even reached 100 episodes. And so that that was just one episode of many that significantly changed how I think about things. Let's continue on, Dave, with people who called in with their one in a million episode. And I selected Christina Moore's recording for this one because this is certainly another episode. She, she kind of helped me be able to <laughs> reference another episode that really changed my mind about things. And so this is Christina Moore talking about her one in a million episode. It's really difficult to pick one episode. I feel like the last thousand downloads have been from me. But the one episode that I think of right away often is a sow and noise discussion of anti-racist writing assessment ecologies. As a previous composition teacher, I see how important of a message this is 
and how much we need to start broadening how we think of effective writing. Plus, I'm reading Binti, which was one of his reading recommendations, and it is such a fun sci-fi read that I never would have come across otherwise. Christina, thank you so much for sharing that one episode out of the million downloads that's been impactful for you. Bonnie, it's really fun to hear from as many of these downloads as there are. You know, each each one of these is meaningful in, in its own way, and so it's really neat to get a small glimpse of uh, some of these individual episodes that have landed with individual people and what they've done with it. I'm curious, thinking about this journey for you too, is uh, what has made you laugh along the way? This episode is 138 with Mike Caulfield. And first of all, Mike Caulfield, I just continue to learn pretty much from 100% of his tweets and blogs and various ways that he gets the word out about digital literacy. He's been just such a teacher to me, but he also (laughs) cracks me up. I love his sense of humor. And in this particular episode, I had a true confession moment. And I shared, Dave, that you and I as parents, well, at the time, we were not planning on telling our children that there was a tooth fairy. And now our children are old enough, at least one of them, to have lost a tooth or two. I'm already losing track of how many teeth he's lost. And so, no, we do not tell them that there is a tooth fairy. And this was Mike Caulfield's response. I don't remember being shocked finding out my parents were were the tooth fairy. I remember being shocked that my mom had kept all the teeth. They were like, you know, like a little jar, <laughs> you know? And so this just seemed to me, this was like, I don't know, this seemed like Roman or something, mm-hmm. just like a jar of teeth. But, you know, her, her feeling was, well, it just seemed weird to throw them away, you know? And I was like, well, you know, yeah, the tooth fairy thing, then, you know, the fact you guys are the tooth fairy, that's not freaking me out. No, the, the jar, <laughs> the jar of baby teeth in our cupboard, though, that's, that's a little, that's a little Dahmer, you know, so uh, you know, might, might want to back off of that. It's funny that you bring that up, because of course, it's always as a parent, you're thinking about things in advance often of when they actually happen. But this is something I didn't even think about. What do you do with those? Yeah, teeth? what do you do with the do with the teeth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in any case, yeah, but for, for folks out there, whether, whether you, you know, engage in tooth fairyism or not, you know, that's great. But like, don't, don't keep a jar of teeth in the medic- medicine cabinet. That's just freaky. My parents do search and rescue with their dogs. And I'm but, laughing because as I'm saying this to you, I'm realizing what you do with them is you give them to your parents because they use them as scent articles for the dogs as they go out to find oh, no. so, Yeah, that's what oh, you that's do grim. with the teeth. I know it's really, <laughs> they, really uh, this, this is another embarrassing confession, then I'll stop. For Easter many years, I wouldn't see my parents because they would be doing cadaver Easter egg hunts with the dogs. <laughs> There's a synthetic scent for dead body smell and they'd put it inside Easter eggs and the dogs would go find them. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm well, wondering you know, if I our... Feel, I feel like believing in the tooth fairy was not the worst of your childhood issues. <laughs> yes, perhaps. <laughs> I think, perhaps. I think like, there's a whole other universe <laughs> of things to work out. There. Yes, there's a lot we're unpacking on this episode. So can I just say there's... <laughs> we. <laughs> I went online to get our kids little things to put their tooth under their pillow at one point in the last year or so. And there's a whole ecosystem around preserving teeth for kids. Like you can buy these little packages and kits. And I I was one horrified and secondly, couldn't stop thinking about this conversation. (laughs) Well, I also don't think that you know this, but it turned out when I talked to my mom, she really did want to have our son's tooth to use for that particular purpose. This is still a helpful thing for them as a search and rescue 
organization and I wrapped it. <laughs> yeah, I left it on the shelf in your closet, remember? Well, no, but now I've lost it. It's, <laughs> I do not know where it is. And I'm just picturing the horror of if it gets into the wrong hands of like, why is there a tooth in whatever this is? Of we like, need to bring one of their search dogs up into yeah. our closet. They'll find it. Yes, yes. Two minutes. Uh, be done. I also, by the way, laugh anytime Todd Zakrysik is on the episode, but often our funniest remarks get edited out, most likely because we asked Andrew, our podcast editor, to take them out because we don't want to get ourselves into too much trouble because we'll just get in the middle of some kind of a riff and you go places you're just not expecting. He has a delightful sense of humor as well. What's a episode that you've learned a lot from since so much of this is about learning? Chris Gilliard was on episode 130 and spoke about digital redlining. And in a way that provided such a foundation for me, I had read some of his articles, but just getting to speak with him one-on-one was was a tremendous learning experience. And then also just having, it's interesting how when you come across a person, you're able to go then and discover other people who are also researching and interested in those same subjects. And so I learned so much from him and, and of course, from so many others as well. How about, uh, and I think I know what you'll probably say, embarrassing moment from the podcast over the last 250 episodes? When I had the privilege of getting to interview Ken Bain, I've actually got to interview him now twice, but for the first time for episode 36, I was so nervous. And he wasn't necessarily nervous, at least I didn't perceive that, but it was the first time he'd ever done a podcast. And so after we were done recording, he said, gosh, there was things I really wish I could have said. And, you know, I forgot some things. So I said, you know, that's the magic of podcasting. I can just press record and off we go. And before I got to press record, he just started talking and he's naming these names I'm not familiar with. And he's talking about Eric Mazur. I didn't know who that was. And the Minerva Prize. And I'm typing as fast as my little typing fingers will let me go. And then I explained to him that I was going to press record again and that that would be able to get spliced into the interview. And so off we went. And I said, tell me about the manure prize. And he let me get three times out the words manure <laughs> prize before he politely said, Bonnie, it, it's actually the manure prize. And the I Minerva was... Minerva prize? Yes. Oh, no, it's... <laughs> doing it again, the, the Minerva Prize. And so, yes, it was so embarrassing. And I did think about having that part of the audio just not make its way onto the actual episode. But I'm glad I left it in because I think it's important for us to model that it is often those mistakes that actually we learn the most from. I guarantee you I don't get Minerva, Minerva Prize. And I certainly do remember Eric Mazur's name. It's locked and loaded in my in my memory for all of time. And so it's just been delightful. And we actually celebrated on episode 100. People called in and spoke about their own failures, their own mistakes that they had made. And Mahabali ended up being the receiving the manure award. And I didn't end up pulling it back anytime since then. But you know, I can always pull it back because there's always things we can be celebrating about what we're learning from our failures. Another person who called in to share their one in a million episode is Ian Wolf. And as I mentioned earlier, Ian Wolf is also a completionist. He has listened to all of the episodes of teaching in higher ed. And here he is sharing about an episode that had a profound impact and also has to do with making mistakes. So that's why I placed it here. Hi, the doctors Stahoviak. 
I've got to say my episode one in a million was number 112, A Radical Hope, A Teaching Manifesto with Dr. Kevin Gannon. Uh, he's my spirit animal. I lack his courage to call him like I see him, but I've definitely been trying to utilize that more. I've also been encouraging the new faculty that we've been hiring to do the same. We've just hired several new, fresh graduates. They have their very first teaching gig, and they are so green and so nervous, they're misstepping. And it's all perfectly summed up in Dr. Gannon's quote from the episode, if I want my students to take risks and not be afraid to fail, then I need to take risks and not be afraid to fail. That in and of itself is something that I think we are all trying to do where we all teach. And I value that lesson and I'm trying to carry it more. I'm trying to impart it into my students. Uh, additionally, Dr. Gannon's phrase about punching up, which is something he mentioned in an earlier episode, all of those things, speak your truth, punch up, take risks. Uh, it's it's all ways to empower folks rather than hiding behind that whole fear of failure. One of the things that Kevin Gannon has stressed the entire time I've known him is about students not being our adversaries. This is something that Jesse Stommel and Sean Michael Morris also speak a lot about, Robin DeRosa, I could go on and on. And it's such a subtle but absolutely transformative way that you can change your paradigm. And Dave, I will admit, I can remember times early in my teaching when that was not what was being modeled for me, and that was not how I was perceiving students. And I'm so grateful for the joy that I experience now in recognizing that they are indeed not. They are just these incredible people. We have such a privilege to be able to walk alongside, and I'm grateful for Kevin Gannon's and others' leadership in that area. It's so critical. Yeah, you and me both. It's changed a lot of my thinking on teaching uh, over the years as, as listening to people like Kevin. And speaking of change, your role has changed in the last couple of years uh, at your university, and you are doing more faculty development work now, and yet you continue to teach, and you teach at the undergrad level and at the doctoral level. And I know a lot of the conversations that come up on the show, you inspire your own practice. What's changed in your own approach to learning during this uh, journey of this podcast? I'm going to say everything, but since I should probably be specific, one episode that comes so clearly to my mind is one with Peter Newberry. It's episode 53, and this is a seven-second clip, Dave, and it's seven seconds of the show that is something that's just a part of my everyday life. And here is Peter Newberry. In specifics, he's talking about Twitter. How do you get the most benefit out of Twitter? But he says in the episode, and, and of course, I completely concur, this is about all of life, how to get the richest learning out of all of our life. Here's Peter Newberry. We need people like us and people not like us, and we need access to them lots of the time. In terms of my Twitter usage and building a professional and personal learning network, whenever I find a new group of people that I think can contribute in some way to my own learning, I just get this idea in mind of finding these people that are so different from me and how they can really ignite my own imagination for the context that I'm really missing out on. And then also finding people I have a lot in common with and just that that sense of solidarity and how we're, we're working together to do this better. So appreciative of Peter Newberry and all the impact that he's had on my teaching and leadership. 
The next person who shared her one in a million episodes is Erin Wittick. And we're going to quickly follow it up with a message from Isabo Iqbal, because they both have the same episode and the same person who also has just been a big part of my teaching as well. And, and we've even established a friendship. Hello, my name is Erin Wittick, and I'm a faculty member that teaches organic chemistry. The episode that had the most profound impact on me was Pooja Argawal, uh, episode 94, where she talked about retrieval practice. It was the first time I really learned about the science behind learning, and not just the science, but also the practice. So how we actually model and implement the science of learning in our own classrooms. It really kind of spurred me on to learn more about the science of learning, and it has profoundly changed the way that I teach. I now model uh, and teach effective learning practices in the classroom on a regular basis, and I, I've become so passionate about it um, and its impact that I really want to have a broader impact. So I feel like this episode uh, kind of started my path along a career change for me, and now I'm entering uh, into a position where I'm going to be doing faculty development. So I really want to say thank you so much for your podcast and your continued efforts in improving higher education. And uh, thanks for opening uh, this door for me. And congratulations on 250 episodes. It was so fun to hear your voice, Erin, because I know we've corresponded, but that was just a treasure for me to get to hear that. And also so happy to hear from Isabo with a spotlight on the same individual. Hey, Bonnie, it's Isabo. In terms of impacting my teaching, the episode that has had the most impact is the one by Pooja on retrieval practice. It just really nailed the message home to me in a very powerful way. So congratulations again, Bonnie. I'm just so pleased for you. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Bonnie, as you've been on this journey, what's made you cry? I will never forget episode 165, where you and I spoke about course evaluations. It actually came about because of something fell through the cracks. And we don't always share these behind the scenes secrets, but it was going well. I've aired an episode every single week since June of 2014. Dave, we got to pull something together here. <laughs> so it was just kind of a spur of the moment thing to fill in a gap when one occurred. And we, I was trying to really make it more of a practical thing. What's the process I use for reflecting on my course evaluations? But we actually went through and reflected on my course evaluations. And when I was reading about a student being disappointed that I hadn't made it to his or her poster session thing and not realizing that there wasn't any way I could spread myself to all the business professionals we had and alumni and campus leaders coming by. I had a student who was going around doing Facebook Live. And the I just was so sad. I remember that the student didn't realize I watched every single minute, every second of that Facebook Live recording and really celebrated their learning. And it was so tremendously, just an exciting thing for me to see. And then I was just disappointed that I hadn't really translated that over to them. And they felt like, they didn't say this, but like they didn't care. And that was really hard. And, and what, what was so rewarding was just, that was another part where I thought, oh, can we just take that out? Because 
I don't like getting emotional like that for thousands of people. And but of course, I mean, I leave it in. It's like I want to take it out. But that's that's the power of it. And then just so many of you poured out your hearts to me and and told me about your pain from course evaluations and just how me being vulnerable like that helped you be able to process it a little bit better and just to recognize that this teaching stuff is hard and the reflective work to try to get better at it continuously is also incredibly hard. So it did end up bringing me a lot of joy. The next person who shared a message about his one in a million episode is Josh Eiler. And Josh Eiler has also been another one of those people who's been around from almost the very beginning down in the less than 20 episodes range of things. And he's been back a number of times. I still think so fondly of the episode we did on the lessons about teaching that Pixar movies have in them. That's a really fun episode for me. And then getting to talk to him about his book on how humans learn and to think about the journey that that was for him in the book coming out was just a fun thing to get to celebrate for him and also to get to learn from him. And Josh is going to share about his one in a million episode here. Hi, Bonnie. It's Josh Eiler. And I want to say that my one in a million episode is the recent episode on teaching with compassion with Peter Kaufman. That episode was filled with such hope and humanity. And I left it being uh, feeling inspired and with the intention of learning from Peter's life and example as a teacher and a human being. So I appreciate that episode very much, and I've returned to it time and time again since I first listened to it. Thanks for all you do, Bonnie. I remember being on Twitter, and Dave, you came into the room, and I, you left the room at one moment, and you came back, and I was just bawling. And you said, "Yeah, I remember that." <laughs> I just left the room for a second. <laughs> what, what, what happened? What just happened? And I said, "I just came across this person, and..." I'm just enthralled with his life and his work. And Peter had written a book about teaching with compassion. And I knew I wanted to have him on the show. And I knew that it was going to be incredibly difficult for him. Let alone, I mean, <laughs> yes, for me, but, but for him as well. He had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it was one of those conversations, you know, how do you do this? And we had just a wonderful correspondence. He did want to come on the show. And he did want to share. And I was concerned a little bit. I, I mean, he'd written so much about his illness and some wonderful posts to writing that he did during that season are, are on that episode's show notes page. And he came on and just what a wonderful man, what a gifted teacher. And every time I think about him, I just get so sad that he's not longer, no longer with us. And yet there is, as Josh said, those just infusions of hope that he brought to us. He left that behind as a gift for all of us. And I also was reflecting back to the first episode that was ever recorded without it being just Dave and I. And Dave, there's actually been people who decide to start listening to the podcast from the very beginning. And they think it's just you and I for all 200 and some odd episodes. They're like, oh, I didn't realize there was other people. <laughs> That's so, so funny. <laughs> so there was an episode about personal knowledge management and two librarians joined us, Crystal Renfro who still writes for the academic personal knowledge management blog, which I'll link to in the show notes, and then her dear friend, Mary Axford. And sadly, Mary Axford passed away a couple of years as well. And I just think back to these people that I've been able to be connected with and capture in audio 
just the some of the learnings that they have to offer. It's just tiny grains of sand, but those tiny grains of sand are treasures to me just to get to be a little holder of their legacy. And oh boy, just the world misses <laughs> these two people. And it's sad, yet it also is restorative in in being able to go back to those grains of sand. So I'm grateful to Mary. I remember her. And I'm grateful to Peter. I remember and miss him as well. And I'm just, it's, this is just, it's life. <laughs> it's life. And I'm glad to be in it. But boy, sometimes it's, um, it's, it's hard. What's a favorite moment from a past episode? Clint Smith Third, who I believe I first came across his TED Talk. He is hard to describe because he is so many things. He's a spoken word poet. He's a teacher. He's a PhD student at Harvard. And since coming on the podcast, he is a big time podcaster now in his own right on the Pod Save the People podcast. I love the way that they do the news and cover it from such unique perspectives. And and I just really love that podcast that he's on now. So he came on to the podcast and did share from his book of poetry. And I was a little nervous to ask him about the poem, but he does explain it in the episode. And I was so grateful for that little bit of background, which brought such depth. And so many of you wrote to me and said just how powerful this poem was for you and how grateful you were to have him read it. So Dave and I are going to share Clint Smith sharing his poetry. What the cicada said to the black boy. I've seen what they make of you, how they render you a multiplicity of mistakes. They have undone me as well, pulled back my shell and feasted on my flesh, claimed it was for their survival. And they wonder why I only show my face every 17 years, but you, You're lucky if they let you live that long. I could teach you some things, you know. I've been playing this game since before you knew what breath was. This here is prehistoric. Why you think we fly? Why you think we roll in packs? You think these swarms are for the fun of it? I would tell you that you don't roll deep enough. But every time you swarm, they shoot. Get you some wings, son. Get you some wings. There's been so many wonderful relationships that have been built over the years from this show, and you've had a number of people who have come on multiple times to continue that journey. And I'm curious who's been a repeat guest who's had a profound impact on your teaching. I'd like to start by saying every repeat guest has had a profound impact on my teaching. One who I've been able to read many books from, he's written over 30 books about teaching in his career, and who I had an opportunity to meet in person once. He actually sat in a session that my colleague and I gave, and Stephen Brookfield, thank you for everything you've done. He is just, his books, the times he's been on the episode, he's talked about teaching, he's talked about critical pedagogy, he's talked about race and done it in a way from speaking in from a place of privilege and oh gosh I could go on and on I'm just grateful that his first time he came on was episode 15 I never forget that number because that's always been one of the top downloads any anytime he comes on he's definitely gets a lot of downloads and that's not what it's about for me but I can see why so many people find him to have such an impact on their teaching and I include myself in that and I'm grateful to have had the many conversations with him that I've been able to. Who is at an impact, um, maybe beyond simply the scope of teaching, but just an impact on your life? 
Very similarly to Stephen Brookfield, James Lang has been on the podcast many times. He's also written many books. They are books that I pick up time and time and time again. The first book I ever read of James Lang's was Cheating Lessons, and I instantly wanted to talk to him. He was on episode 19, and that's another episode number. I don't even have it in the show notes, Dave, as we're talking about this, because that one is locked in my head as well. But it isn't just about my teaching. He's had a huge impact on that. But I consider him now a friend and a mentor and someone who, when I get stuck, I don't do this often because I don't want to take advantage of it. And I know how busy he is. But there's been a couple times where you mentioned my career changing, Dave, and going into faculty development. And when I just can't resist it because I'm not sure where to head or what to do, I'll jot him a quick note. And he's just so kind and generous and, and has always written back. And, and that I'm just so appreciative. He's helped me to discover possibilities for myself that I didn't ever even consider would be something I could do. And just in terms of even small ways of connecting me with people, I, I think back to getting to talk to him for episode 19, but it just kept going from there. It kept oh, you should talk to this person. And it just became this web of people that I, if I did, like, a, I'd love to do a map of that, Dave. You know how they have those maps that show how things are related, usually with social media, you know, this person's connected and there's these these sort of nodes. He would be a huge node on my map of, you know, yeah. who he's connected me with. And that's just been, oh, just I'm so grateful for that. And then he did write the most touching article in the Chronicle that anyone's ever written about the podcast. And it just still to me just really represents what this mission has been. And he helped me in terms of being an author and his books helped me. I could, we could just have a episode two, three, 14, 40, just, just on James Lang. Thank you, James Lang for everything that you've done for me. Another person I'm grateful to be connected with for the podcast is Jeff Young. And Jeff Young, I first met when he worked for the Chronicle, and now he's at EdSurge. And Jeff Young called in to share his one in a million episode. And I'm grateful for this because his person that he mentions is also definitely, I couldn't do a one in a million episode, but but uh, <laughs> he's a person who's also had a huge impact on my teaching as well. This is Jeff Young. Hi, I'm Jeff Young. I have to say, I'm definitely a fan of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast. And one episode that really struck me was the one with Jesse Stommel about how to ungrade. I remember I actually heard it riding my bike to go teach a journalism class I do as an adjunct. And, you know, I remember it was talking about grading and how big a role this can play in the student mind, how big they can loom, but that how people don't really talk much about grading even those people talking about reforming higher ed, which I talk to a lot for my for my reporting. And I, I think I'm always drawn to these situations where people are trying to take a broader perspective on what it is they're doing and, and kind of thinking how these dots fit together. And this episode really did that. And, and sometimes even in a playful way, I remember there's something where he talks about a, a kind of that he imagines the Darth Vader theme song in Star Wars going every time people start to think about or talk about grades, because these letters, you know, the ABC and whatever can really stress students. And, and maybe the, these grades don't achieve what people think they do. And anyway, looking forward to more podcasts like this one. Thanks so much for doing this show. In the last six months, I've started writing a column for Ed Surge. It's a advice column for people who want to ask and receive answers about teaching. And Jeff Young is my editor, and I've learned so much from him through that process and also through his podcast on EdSurge. And so what a nice synergistic connection, another person I feel so connected with.
And he mentions about Jesse Stommel, and that's another one of those when I think about that network because it brings in Sean Michael Morris, Robin DeRosa, and so many others that, that I, I won't even have time to list here, but just how fun to be connected with those that are engaged in the hybrid pedagogy team, with their podcasts, with their events, with their journal. It's just just magnificent to know them. What's an episode that continues to inspire you? Episode number 215 with Brian Dewsbury was particularly impactful to me in terms of thinking about teaching STEM with a lens of social justice. For those of you who teach in STEM, this may just be as natural as could be. I think about Karen Cangelosi. This is something that just seems to just be a part of her being. But for me, I never had teachers like that. And I didn't grow up with just that sense of the connection between the sciences and our sense of mission and purpose. And we recently actually had on, I was tempted to do it, to do this one as well, but I felt like it would be too much the recency effect, but the group talking about the solar suitcases and just how they're teaching the students to make these things and then go out and help in different communities. I mean, it's just, that's, that is, there's nothing better. And if whatever discipline we teach in, we are unable to see how that connects with social justice. We're holding ourselves back from being able to impact the minds of today and of tomorrow. Grateful for Brian Dewsbury. And I'm really just grateful. I feel like everyone who's ever come on the podcast has inspired me in that way. And um, it's just it's just a delight. It wouldn't be an episode of Teaching in Higher Ed if we didn't end with some recommendations. So what are you thinking about right now, Bonnie, in the context of all these episodes that you'd like to recommend? Earlier in the episode, I mentioned Crystal Renfro, and she is the librarian who I was talking about came on to the first episode that wasn't just Dave and I, and I wanted to recommend her academic PKM blog. She did decide to keep going with it even after Mary's passing. They had written together for so many years. And one of my favorite parts about the blog are the link roundups. They're so much fun because they're kind of this eclectic collection of things, just like the recommendation segment. And one of the things she recommended recently on the links roundup was noisily, N-O-I-S-L-I. And it is a white noise maker. And you can click on if you want to, if you're trying to do it to relax or to be productive. And then there's different things that you can click on to generate different types of white noise, whether it's birds or rain or waterfalls. And that's a great one. That's a, that's a really, really great one. So I'd suggest that you go check out Academic PKM, subscribe to it so you get all those great link roundups and specifically noisily. And Dave, what do you have to recommend today? I have two recommendations. One of them, I was just thinking about a reference to Twitter earlier in the conversation. You know, we didn't hear from everyone, of course. And I think there's probably more folks out there who have had the one in a million moment or maybe moments from the show. And I would just make the invitation that if you um, have heard something on the show in the last few years that's been helpful or useful to you in some way, I think it'd be uh, wonderful for folks to reach out to you on Twitter, Bonnie, and let you know as this episode airs and your Twitter ID is Bonnie208. No E in that, Bonnie. And the other thing that that's getting me thinking of is my second recommendation, which is episode 208. There's the if danger is the right word, but I think there's the sometimes we hear something in isolation like this episode of a lot of successes and a lot of learning and a lot of relationships that have been built. And I think there's the tendency for all of us to zero in on that. And we see all these wonderful successes and these great stories and forget that there's always a challenge along the road and the journeys too. 
and I love what you did on episode 28. I can't remember if that was the last time we did an episode together or I think mm, maybe it was. It might be. I love what you did with that episode and, and we did of having a conversation about your career journey and some of the highlights, but also some of the struggles along the way. And for those who are at that place as we all are in our careers, and we all will be again, I'm sure, I know I go through these times too, of difficulty and of fear and of feeling like we don't know what's next. Episode 208, I think, is a a wonderful place to start. So if you're just uh, listening for the first time or just started listening recently, I'd uh, really invite you to go back to that episode because there's there's so many wonderful things there. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're just joining recently, we hope you'll engage with us also on the website to get uh, an article from Bonnie every week and also the show notes for every episode. Just go to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. They really, really want to take this time also to say thank you to you. You're my best friend, my partner. I'm so glad we're in this life together. And I'm also glad that you nudged me into this podcast. This is either all your fault or all to your credit. <laughs> it has been so much fun. Thank you so much for the privilege to be a tiny part. I It's a joy. I listen to every... I'm a completionist too, actually. Mm. I've listened to every episode and uh, it is... Uh, I learn something in my own work every time. Thank you. We'll see you next time, everyone. Episode 251. We're just going to keep on going. Here we go. See you then. See you then.